Good morning. Delighted you could join us today. Welcome. If you uh, would like to start a watch party, please do. That would be fun to have them come and join, get your friends to know, grab your Bible, and uh, join in uh, looking at the scriptures together with us. We're delighted you could be here and share this time with us uh, as we worship and as we learn from God's Word. It's a wonderful occasion, and I'm glad that you could join us. We are kind of concerned a little bit that we may have a storm coming our way, a hurricane, which is, which is uh, something that happens here in Florida. Uh, but this one looks like it's aimed right for Naples, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it turns out. Various things could happen uh, before it's supposed to be here on Monday, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But we're glad you're here. We're fine and uh, delighted that you could uh, join us today. Uh, are you, have you ever uh, seen the movie, The Great Escape? I remember when I was growing up and I was in college, this movie came out with Steve McQueen driving his motorcycle and it was about, The Great Escape was about uh, some American and British airmen who had been shot down during the war, World War II, and were being held by the Germans in a stalag. In fact, stalag Luft, or the, it was called the uh, jail for the airmen, and he had three of them, at least this one's story is about. And The Great Escape is really written, story book, it's a true story, but of course a lot was fabricated in that. The Great Escape, and I was quite fascinated about that. There's something about that and about that story and how they planned and worked and what happened to getting people out uh, and freeing so many prisoners uh, that escaped, that, that it catches the imagination and you go, oh yeah, that looks pretty cool. I'd like to see how that works. And I enjoyed watching it and I've watched it several times. Maybe you have too. If you haven't, you ought to check it out. The Great Escape. There's also another film that I uh, remember uh, uh, not too awful long ago, and that was The Fugitive. Now, that was built on a TV program, which evidently was built on a true story about a physician who had been falsely accused of murder, and he uh, had to run, and the, it seemed everything was set up against him, and he was a fugitive. And the TV program really never solved it, but the movie did with Harrison Ford as being in it as a physician. It's quite a story, quite a movie. And it's exciting, too, because you want the, the justice to be done for this man, knowing that he had not committed this murder, but that things uh, needed to be put right, but everything seemed to be stacked against him. And so the tale of him going is quite, quite an interesting story. Maybe you have seen that as well. But this morning, this morning, we're not talking about the great escape. We're talking about the miraculous escape, the miraculous escape. And I'd like you to follow along with me, and if you would find in your Bible, Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, as we look and share together about this great miraculous escape. And it has all the intrigue of a great story. So pick it up, Acts chapter 12, verse 1, we'll begin. And it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Now what was the idea what was the thing behind that well this is shortly after the stoning of Stephen and Herod got into the mood and he got into the great thing well let's go after them and they began to hunt and persecute the followers of Christ and they scattered as the Bible told us in Acts um, 8 9 and 10 
that we looked at earlier. And so they, they had scattered, but they were being persecuted. And even Saul, who later became Paul, was out persecuting them. Well, back, back to um, King Herod. Verse 2, King Herod, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. He was an early martyr, one of the followers of Christ. Yes, the brother, James and John, the followers, they very close friends of Jesus. And when he saw, and when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. So he grabbed Peter. Now, they were all in Jerusalem, so they were under the king's authority there. And he grabbed them because, you see, it was politically expedient, you see. It was politically expedient for them. So he was saying, you know, if this makes uh, brownie points with the Jewish leaders, well, I certainly would like to, um, to have them uh, pat me on the back for arresting these uh, Christians. Christianity was outlawed. Judaism was okay. Or you had to be, uh, work, worship the, the emperor in Rome. So Judaism had been okay that that was a permissible religion. But Christianity was a deviation, they thought, from that. And so the Jews went after and persecuted them, just as they had persecuted Christ. Herod went after it. And people thought, oh, this is great. This is great what he is doing, the work he's doing for them. Verse 5, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, I don't know about you, but it took me a while to recognize the incredible power of prayer. Prayer is an incredible tool because it looks like it's said in weakness, our weakness, but in God's power. And praying to God, lifting us up in prayer, the church, the church family, church simply means circle. It was the circle of believers there who in Jerusalem, knew that Peter had been taken captive. They knew what had happened to James. They knew that that's what's going to happen to Peter. And so they earnestly got on their knees and began to pray and pray and pray that God would do something. And I believe the scriptures imply that they were praying all night for him, praying that something would happen. Well, as I was looking at this, uh, it reminded me about, about uh, my seminary teacher. And... Uh, Arthur Maxwell's son, one of his sons, C. Mervyn Maxwell, was a teacher at the seminary. Well, being like his dad, who was one of the great Christian storytellers, so did uh, C. Mervyn, he, he, my teacher, Dr. Maxwell. He was very good at telling stories, and we loved to hear him, even as seminary students. And I remember there were about 110 of us or so in our class, and he would say to us, now, children, would you like me to tell you another story? And oh, yes, 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 because they were so interested, the stories that he would tell. And we would be fascinated. Of course, they'd show up on the test, but, but they were fascinating stories that he would tell. He was a great storyteller, and I loved to listen to his stories. But particularly of interest to me, as I was growing up, was the Bible stories. The Bible stories are told, and I remember my mom and my dad sharing with me the Bible stories as we grew up. I would like to invite all parents and grandparents to please share the Bible stories with their children. 
Sit them down, share with them the great stories of the Bible. It'll help them, it'll build them character and encouragement. It'll help them understand God's great plan. Don't just let it slide by. Take time to teach your children the great stories of the Bible. It is important to do that and to read through. Well, so here we are in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, and a great story is about to come about. And so I said, well, maybe I should tell this story. I know this story very well. Maybe I should tell this story. But I said, no, wait a minute. Today, even though it might be long, I would like to just read the story in Luke's words. Now, Luke was the author of the book of Acts. So Luke shares this story about what happened. He writes a story down to give us the details. And as I read it to you, I'd like you to do something with me. I would like for you to imagine that Luke is there just telling you the story firsthand, right there telling you, and you're in the same room, and you're listening, and you're imagining in your mind all of the elements of the story that are about to be un told to you. So you're thinking about this in your mind as this goes forward, okay? So try that. Just think about it, how this is going. You're there. Luke is telling you this story, and we're delighted to have him because he wrote it, uh, sharing us this story. And you let your mind try to picture what is going on. I'm going to share it a little bit as we go, but basically I want to tell the story as Luke, read the story as Luke shared it with us. Okay, so Acts chapter 12, we're going to begin with verse 6. Verse 6, you ready? The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, talking about Peter, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries stood guard at the entrance. Do you see that? So they didn't want Peter have any possibility that any would come and escape. So they were holding them there, they had chained, so he has chained to one of the sentries, he's chained to the other, and there are guards at the entrance. See that picture? You see the picture there? Verse 7, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell, and he struck Peter on the side and woke him up. I don't know how hard that was, but he, he bumped him a little bit, says, you know, wake him up, wake him up. Didn't wake up the other soldiers. Quickly, he said, the, the angel said to him, get up. And as he, Peter was getting up, Luke says, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists as he got up. All the locks were undone and fell off as he got up. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Now wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison. Can you imagine this? He followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He thought he was in some sort of a dream or something to see this happen because it was so unbelievable that this would actually take place. And so he felt in his dream or in his vision that this was happening and that he was getting up and going and all the guards remained asleep. They walked right past the sentries as if they weren't there. They made their way out. And he thought, oh, I must be in some kind of vision. He, he said, this couldn't be really true. They passed the first and second guards and came to an iron gate leading to the city. 
it opened for them by itself. Can you imagine those huge iron gates without a creek or something? It just opened for them. There was nobody had to. Those were heavy gates, and they had many men to pick them open. They were to protect and to keep from people from attacking. So these gates, they opened as if they were by themselves. And they went through, went through the gates. They went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him without saying anything, left him. And now he's outside on the streets of Jerusalem, one street away from where he had been in jail. And now Peter, the Bible says, and then Peter came to himself. He kind of, kind of woke up and realized and said, now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. Spared, taken out like that. And from everything, Peter went on to say, everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. They were hoping that he would be killed. Can you imagine that? And I thought of that many times as a child. I think, what would that be like to go out at night, to go through, to have the chains fall off, to make your way, have an angel leading you and the gates open? What? Your eyes would be so big and open, wouldn't they? As you're watching, he said, I must be dreaming. But when he got out and realized, I'm outside. I recognize that I'm outside and I can see this is me. But the angel had rescued him out of the hand of Herod. Well, Herod, Herod would have had a very quick trial. See, well, uh, it's, it's like... Um, we always have a fair trial before we hang him. That's, that's kind of the thing, you know, uh, like the old Wild West. Well, we know he's guilty, and we, we want to get rid of him, so we'll have a pretense of a trial like they did with Jesus. False witnesses do it, and then off, and you're dead. So they knew that was going to happen, and it would be very quick. Arrested one night, trial the next day, dead in the afternoon. That type of justice. Well, meanwhile... Meanwhile, the Bible says. Meanwhile, what has happened? Peter made his way. He made his way to the home of John Mark's parents. Now, what is the significance of that? The significance is that that's the upper room. The upper room where Jesus had the Last Supper. We believe it's also the place, the exact place, where the Holy Spirit was poured out. So he made his way to this spot made his way to this home. And when he got to that home, he started knocking on the door because the door was locked. What was going on? Well, the people were in there praying for him all night, praying to God to please do something, please do something. Help Peter. Not realizing. So they, they knocked, and they told Rhoda, well, Rhoda was just a uh, teenage girl, and they said, Go to the door and see them, but be very careful. So they went to the door, and she was listening and so forth, and she said, who's there? And Peter identified himself. And when she recognized, the Bible says, verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. And they said, here are the people praying for, his, for him. They said, you are out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. And verse 16, just the first little line says, 
But Peter kept on knocking. Peter kept on knocking. (laughs) They were praying that Peter would be saved, that God would do something. And now they were doubting that Peter was at their door. Well, I probably would have been doubting as well. How could he have? Who would have thought that an angel would come and rescue Peter? Who would have thought that that could happen? And it it just adds to the intrigue of this great story, doesn't it? It is an incredible story to read. It is an incredible story to have, to see how the Lord stepped in and rescued Peter. And the Bible has lots of examples of that, of God. In fact, another time he was with, um, singing in there with, um, with John, and they were singing in prison, and God took care of them. So there are, there are many examples in the Bible and in the New Testament and in the book of Acts where God stepped in and rescued them. The prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Remember that? So they were praying. God answered their prayer. But when it actually happened, they couldn't believe that that had taken place. They were stunned. I would have been, so let's give them a break and say, oh, those poor people, they should have believed. Well, of course, but let's be human, recognize that. But as I thought about this, I wanted to ask, but why do we like these type of stories? Why do we like those? What is it about that story and stories like them that it encourages us. Well, we're all pulling for the hero, aren't we? Peter certainly was the hero. He was, it was unjustly put in there, just like Harrison Ford in The Fugitive. You know, he was unjustly put there. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was proclaiming Christ, and he was going to have his life pay for it. And the angel came and rescued him. So we feel good about that. We're, we're pulling for the hero of the story, And that seems to make things right. The evil against the right. And we like those kind of stories because we cheer for the right. And how'd that happen? Therefore, when we hear those stories, we we draw encouragement from those stories, don't we? Such stories I like that, I get encouraged. But we need to know something else as well. You see, the Lord didn't rescue Peter every time. Peter eventually was crucified upside down for his faith in Christ. Paul was beheaded. John was boiled in oil, even though it didn't kill him. He was boiled in oil. John the Baptist was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Don't you think that the church family was praying for that, praying for all of those. I have no doubt that they, that they weren't. They were paying for it. So how come he got let out of prison, but he was crucified later? How come we have martyrs around, and we went through many martyrs that that were sacrificed for the cause of Christ. How come that happened? How could that be? Well, you know, we are in a war. 
We are in a real war. Some say, are we in a spiritual war? Yes. Are we in a real war? Yes. Oh, not between countries. And we could point to all kinds of conflicts around the country. I'm talking about the war between good and evil, between Christ and Satan. And we are part of that war. We feel the war struggling in our homes, in our hearts, in our communities, in our own thinking. The war rages on. And the reality is that in every war, there are casualties. Why, Paul was saved from stoning, but Stephen wasn't. In fact, if you, if you look, it seems like for every example where there was a rescue, there was one that wasn't rescued. And you have to wonder, well, why wouldn't God rescue everyone? Everyone we pray for. It would seem that a loving God should do that. But that's not how this war works. You see, the Lord sees the end from the beginning. He sees where this war is going. He knows how this is going to end. He knows what is best in order to save as many as possible. Those who prayed for Stephen were, were incredibly upset, of course, mourning the loss of that first deacon, one of the first seven deacons. A loss that seems so, so pointless. And yet, it was his witness that influenced Saul, who later became Paul and became the greatest Christian missionary that ever lived. The blood of Christians is seed, Tertullian said. So in heaven, the perspective is not just this world, but the world to come. There's more involved in the war than just what we see of flesh and blood here. And that understanding comes from the scripture. That understanding comes from us understanding what the Bible has to say. So it's important to understand the struggle that we are in and the daily battles that we are in, that we don't lose heart, become discouraged. For in actual fact, this battle, this war is in Christ's hands. And he will run it and take care of it. Well, sometimes we think we need to do it. We need to do this, we need to do that. It's the Lord's work. The Lord's work. You know, there are some wonderful, miraculous escapes in the New Testament and down through the Christian church. But there's another great, miraculous escape that is coming. When this war comes to an end, Christ will come and he will take us home. Christ will take us like the brand plucked from the burning, the scriptures say. Just at the last minute when you think everything is lost, he, he saves. And resting in his promise that he will come and take care of us is the great theme of the scriptures. Some worry, something, way to do this, I got to follow the rules, I got to do all these kind of things. No. Resting in the assurance of Jesus' words. I will come quickly and I will take you home 
receive you, Jesus said, to myself. So that great escape that Peter went through, freed in the last hours before he would have been murdered, martyred for Christ, God rescued him. And God will rescue us even if we've gone to the grave. That Christ will resurrect us and take us home. What a blessed hope it will be on that morning when Jesus calls us at the miraculous escape from the evil of this world and to enter into the new world with Jesus and all the saints. I look forward to that day. I hope you do too. Plan for that day when we will see Jesus face to face. Dear Lord, I thank you for the rescue of Peter. I thank you for the beauty of that story. I thank you for the power of it, but the great miraculous escape that that was, there's even a larger one for all of us. You have planned great things for us, far beyond what we could ever think. May we cling and hang on to that hope. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we'll see you next week.